listening to Racism is Profitable, a podcast by and for people of color that aims to dismantle the assumptions that fuel the oppression economy. Your hosts are Jeremy Greer and Solana Rice, the co-founders and co-executive directors of Liberation and Generation Action. Let's get it. On today's episode of Racism is Profitable, we're talking about how work determines our worth. From the expectations of grind culture to an obsession with Black excellence, the oppression economy tells us that we're only valued and valuable if we work hard and produce, produce, produce. Part of the same flawed belief system as personal responsibility, we're expected to meet impossible standards determined by who you are, where you're from, what job you have, and what systems you have access to. It's time to smash the illusion that keeps us building wealth for other people when we deserve to build it for ourselves. Hear this. You are and always have been worthy of safety, security, and economic wealth and well-being. Lauren Jacobs, Executive Director of Power Switch Action, joins us to call out this lie and name our truths. I go out of here every morning. I bust my butt putting up with them crackers every day because I like you. You're about the biggest fool I ever saw. It's my job. It's my responsibility. A man is supposed to take care of his family. You live in my house, fill your belly with my food, put your behind on my bed because you're my son. Because I like you, because it's my duty to take care of you. I owe a responsibility to you. Now let's get this straight right here now before I go along any further. I ain't got to like you. Mr. Rand don't give me my money, come pay day cause he like me, he give it to me cause he owe me. Now I don't give you everything I got to give you, I give you your life. Me and your mama worked that out, between us and liking your black ass wasn't part of the bargain. Now don't you go through life worrying about whether somebody like you or not, you best be making sure they're doing right by you. You understand what I'm saying? Yes, sir. Then get the hell out of my face and get on down to that A&P. So, Solana, I feel like we need a monument to the black parent that coined the phrase, if you live in my house, dot, dot, dot. If you live in my house, under my roof. Eating my food. So we didn't hear that part of the scene in that clip, but it it, it was like the talk, right? Like every black child has gotten that talk that we just heard. Um, by the way, that was August Wilson's um, classic play, Fences, and, and who we heard was Denzel Washington. And that talk is about like what you should expect out of life. It's, it's about what work should mean. And it is about that like really nasty transaction that like your work is for somebody else and for some other means other than yourself. And that it is about survival. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it so speaks to this idea of parents as providers, especially black parents as providers. And to me, it calls into question, like, when do we get to just be parents? When do we just get to be mothers and fathers that actually, you know, do like our and love our children and also have a responsibility, right? But, right. you know, that responsibility weighs really heavy and we take it to work and we bring it home. And I remember my dad saying, like, I have one job and that's to go to work 
and put food on the table for you. You, you. So you go to college and you can do it. Right. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I had one and I had one job. You had one job. Go to school. I had one job. That was to go to school and, you know, do well in school. Not to talk in class. I talked a lot in class. I got Mm. in trouble a lot for talking in class. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. (laughs) But I was actually helping other students. That's what's ridiculous. Like, I was helping them learn. (laughs) I still got in trouble. But I had that one job, right? And I, I remember telling my dad, like, I remember walking downstairs in the basement and being like, I... I finally understand what you mean, dad. And I appreciate your sacrifice day in and day out. And it actually kind of broke my heart that he had to do that mm-hmm. every day. Mm-hmm. And and when he says the words, I'm busting my ass for them crackers every day and dealing with that stuff for them crackers every day. He's bringing in really what is the reality of this, this conversation that we're having around why racism is profitable. Because what he's saying is, I am busting their ass to make them better, to make them wealthy, to make them happy. And I'm doing that so that we can survive. And that that is the relationship. That is the 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 crux of what it is means to work in this economy is that I'm going to bust my hump for them so that I can survive, so I can provide for you, so that I can provide a roof, a bed. And th- the thing is, he's clearly aware of that. But the reality is the systems of white supremacy are also aware of that deal. Um, you know, not long ago, I was on Capitol Hill with a mm. group of tenants who were um, going to Capitol Hill to exercise their freedom as members of this democracy to influence their Congress. These are tenants who had been evicted mm-hmm. during the pandemic and they were being organized by National People's Actions Home Guarantee Campaign. Shout out to them. They're doing awesome work. And I was just, I was there and I stood off to the side because the organizers were doing their work and I didn't want to get in their way. And if you've ever been on Capitol Hill, there's always these like black suit, striped shirt, red tie, <laughs> like old white guys kind of standing, you know, waiting to go into the to the Rayburn house building. And the tenants had these signs because they had just come from a rally on the mm-hmm. on Capitol Hill. And they had, you can't take those into the building. So they put them off to the side. And on them, they said, cancel rent, right? They said, cancel our rent. And I remember sitting and I heard one of these dudes, one of these, you know, black suit, white striped shirt, red tie, like, like, like if you could dress up white supremacy, like it was these dudes, (laughs) right? And he's, he, I heard one said to the other, if they have the time to come here, they have the time to work so they can pay their rent. And I just heard that. And it, 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 yeah, it, it, I was happy, actually, they didn't hear it because it would have thrown off their flow of what they were doing and they were doing important work. But I heard it and it was like another example to me to like they understand the deal because the right. deal has been structurally created that like you get to survive, meaning you get to to have a home over your head as long as you're working on our behalf. That's right. Yeah. yeah. I'm so glad that the tenants did not hear that. Because, like, who knows what would have happened? But, like, oh. it's so, it's. There, there would have been some shit on Capitol Hill yeah, that exactly, day. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. just like, it's just demoralizing, <laughs> also, right? It's it's a real blatant, bold statement of who are you to feel like you have the economic leeway to play 
on this turf, on this mm-hmm. turf in in the people's house, right? Like it's supposed mm-hmm. to be the people's house. That's right. And no, you get to you get to have that say whether you're at work or not. And actually, when you're at work, you should be able to actually have a say as well, right? And mm-hmm. I I think what's what's striking to me too about that fences scene is is that there's a certain type of work that we've acknowledged as well. You know, he he really says like, you know, I'm the provider in this house. You know, I grew up in that in that <laughs> way too, right? My dad was like, I'm the provider. And he took a lot of pride in that. But honestly, like my mom did a lot of care work, right? And that was really undervalued. And I think I was obviously in the moments that we're in right now in a whole bunch of conversations about paid leave and sick leave and care and care as work, we have to also acknowledge that we're in a little bit of a catch-22, right? We're like, y'all need to get jobs. Everybody needs to get a job. Oh, but if you do this kind of work, we're probably not really going to pay you all that well. Oh, if you do this kind of work, oh, you don't get paid at all. Oh, if you do Mm -hmm. sex work, like forget about it. You're an outcast. Um, And we just haven't, we, it's, it's this real bind of like, you're either working for someone else or you're not doing, or you're not contributing. And that's like, and that's like ingrained from our history. Martha Washington, George Washington's wife had a great, I'm not even going to quote it word for word, but it was basically, she was talking about her slaves. Go great ahead, because Mary. of how freaking absurd it is. Right? Oh. Like, like that, that these, past the lips of somebody right great because it was bald face white supremacist like bald face like oh this is what you really think this is what the nation is really founded on she said you know my slaves they're they're great but if they're left to their own devices they will just make money for themselves i mean i'm paraphrasing here but like one how ridiculous to real to say in one hand they're lazy and on the other hand say but they'll do things. They'll just not do them in service of me and and making me a whole bunch of money and making me powerful. Um, and that that's the paradox that we're we're living yeah. in. We realize well, it shows that people, how yeah, it shows how deeply ingrained this is. Like this yeah. is from the beginning of time. This idea of compulsory work that you must have a job and you must produce for the systems and structures of white supremacy started with the institution of actual compulsory work, forcing people to work through enslavement. And then it goes on today with, um, you know, if you have a, if you're an immigrant and have a work visa, your status mm-hmm. in this country is tied to the work that you do here. If you receive public benefits from the government, your ability to receive those benefits are tied to the work you do. And then we reinforce it I'll just say as black people, when we start talking about grind culture and about, you know, the the whole idea that, that you have to hu- be in the hustle and you have to be grinding and all of these things. And it, it gets to the point where we're reinforcing a narrative that doesn't serve us. Mm-hmm. It's serving, again, the systems of white supremacy that are profiting from the idea that black people, Latinx people, people of color in this country our presence here only is determined and our survival is only determined by how much work we do for the wealth of others. That's right. So for our first episode of Racism is Profitable, our friend and forever truth teller, Laura Jacobs is here. 
She is the executive director of Power Switch Action, a member of the Athena Coalition, and just an all-around brilliant badass. What's up, Lauren? What's up, Jeremy Salada? How's it going? Hey. <laughs> hey, we're excited. We love that we're here having this conversation. Um, so I'm, we're just going to dive uh, right in. You know, we we just, you know, in opening the show, we watched a scene from Fences, you know, the um, the why don't you like me scene where, where the father's giving this like really stark kind of real conversation with his son about like, look, this is what work is. Like, this is what it means to work and this is why we're doing it. And it's a real like we have to do this to survive kind of message that comes through that and would love to hear just you personally, like where in your life did you get this sense that it like work is a compulsory thing that we have to do to survive? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm sure I'm going to feel like this is one of those experiences that may uh, span the, the diaspora, at least those that landed within um the contiguous U.S. states of, um, and certainly I was certain age. There was a, you know, from my grandparents to my aunties, my uncles, there was two, there's two parts of this. There's one about like, you know, keeping a roof on your head, food on the table. There was a lot of realness in that clip of that clip in that mm-hmm. dialogue. I feel like mm-hmm. not that exact speech, but like, <laughs> but your dad didn't tell you I don't lie like you. He didn't tell you that, but yeah. yeah. Something that before may have been dropped on me in my life. Um, but um, and then there was the other side of it, which was um, the respectability piece of mm. it, right? Mm. About um, proving our worth, proving our ability to be equal with white folks mm-hmm. through how mm-hmm. hard we worked and never being late, showing up, always being impeccably dressed. I mean, all the, mm. all the things that I think a certain, you know, I, I think I um, am dating myself here. That's okay. It's a feminist act. Um, <laughs> like, being very firmly Gen X, there was a way <laughs> in which, you know, we were sort of trained about like how you show up to an interview dressed yeah. a certain way and not being late and, getting everything done and right i think it's all that yeah yeah putting on your church clothes was like your your yes. first training to like go to the interview right yeah, yeah. Reason up i remember knees. when no i decided ashy. to <laughs> yeah right no no ashy not the ashy not the ashy the cocoa butter cocoa butter everywhere <laughs> you smell like a candy factory that's right <laughs> I'm still working on that. I don't know. <laughs> um, so I, I, I'm curious about at power switch, like how do you challenge this narrative there? Um, especially around work as worth, right? How, how is it showing up at power switch? Well, I mean, this is a complicated thing because you, you're trying to fight within the bounds of a system that's just from roots up is not constructed to recognize our dignity and our value okay. just as precious lights and lives on this planet, right? Um, and recognizing that each individual is precious and special. Um, you know, it shows through in work, it shows through in um, the fact that... Um, we have unhoused 
folks living in our society. It shows through in a society with so much food and so much wealth that people are going hungry. It shows through in so many areas. So there's both thinking about how people are working and they are producing wealth for um, the quote-unquote economy, but specific corporations and specific billionaires and rich folks in particular, and that there's fighting on that that work clearly has value because you wouldn't mm-hmm. you know, get away from this nonsense about job makers. It was like, you didn't make nothing. You <laughs> needed people to work in order for you to do your business. It's not a favor you were doing for somebody. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, because if you didn't need me, you'd cut me in a heartbeat. So there's fighting on those issues and fighting that work is paid and compensated and that the value that it's producing is recognized and then I think there's going this twofold and power switch that we're trying to also think about the, trying to think about the future we really want. Like when we really breathe into what we are naming and calling along with a lot of other words, multiracial feminist democracy, sort of mm-hmm. a care and preciousness of people mm-hmm. um, and community centered view of how life should be lived and how communities could be structured. Then you start to think about you can start to live and think about, okay, how am I both fighting for the work people are doing right now to be recognized and compensated, but how am I also talking about people don't have to work in order to have a roof over their head, to have food on their table, mm-hmm. to have access to health care. Like, that's just things we owe each other as human beings on this planet. Yeah, talk, I want to dig into that a little bit. So it, it's just like, of course – being black or being a, not a white man in America is like a walkthrough contradiction, right? But there's this huge contradiction of like, you have to work. There's all the there's all the the grind culture. There's all the like hustle, like from from hip hop music to 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 what you see on television. And so it's like this, like you gotta you gotta grind and you gotta survive. And then there's also this kind of sense of like. Yeah, but there's this work that you don't really shouldn't be paid for. We're not even going to call work. And I just, what is the like ramifications of that on people to have to walk that contradiction every day? Yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I, I mean, I'm going to do the thing of answering your question, even with a question. I want to add and say, like, well, how do you also throw into the work that people are doing that's not even recognized? Because I think yeah. sometimes in the mm-hmm. black community, we talk about, like, we need jobs, we need jobs. I'm like, people are working. Every like, day. I was like, all the time, yeah. every day. It may not yeah. be a W-2 job, but I was like, yeah. you know, somebody's in their house doing hair. Somebody's, like, you know, selling surplus sneakers. I'm like, there's just... People are right. doing stuff, right? Somebody's doing odd jobs on people's car. Somebody's the car guy in the neighborhood. Like, so how do we also bring that into this conversation? And um, I mean, to try to semi answer your question, I do. You know, I do think this is also trying to get at some of the questions, or you know, which I, I do think some of the conversations are starting to peak right now, coming out. At policy level on build back better and care sector jobs mm-hmm. and thinking about this, that there's some question about people wanting to do, I think the sort of heart wanting to do work that feels like it's making a difference and really yeah. is contributing versus the grind. Um, Cause I would also say, you know, despite the sort of grind hustle, do it. There's also that um, recognition of the contradictions and the fact that you often hear us talk about, playing the game and knowing Mm -hmm. the game. And that really is a critique Mm -hmm. saying 
it's BS in the end. <laughs> right. I love it. Cause like, I remember when I was a kid, my mom used to drop me off at one of my neighbor's house. And she used to take care of me for a couple hours a day while she was doing what she had to do. Right. And my mom would pay her. I don't think she had a childcare license. I don't think that she like was registered with the state. It's just my mom dropped me off. I stayed with her. My mom paid her. She can't pick me up. So like that, but, and I, it was me and a couple other kids. And like, yeah, like that's, that's work that needs to, that should be recognized. It should be compensated and not frowned upon and throw away. Cause it is what molded me. It is what molded the other kids in our community. Yeah. Totally. Totally. Yeah. We were, we were talking earlier about the idea that also this, the fact that we are working and working constantly, um, changes the way we show up. It changes the way we show up for family. It changes the way we show up in our communities. And, you know, Jeremy and I think, like, it changes the way we show up politically as well, Mm -hmm. right? And what we think we deserve and don't deserve. Mm -hmm. Um, as, As people, are you seeing this idea of you gotta work to you gotta work your fingers to the bone, <laughs> um, and you might not get compensated for it, and you'll probably need to do twice as much as anybody else. How do you see that impacting our political power, just generally? Yeah, I mean, I think in the context of you know, I don't want to sort of speak for all the other ethnic groups, but I would say like when there's a grind on like. You have to work a constant sense of like, you got to work twice as hard or three times as hard Mm -hmm. to get to the same, you know, that's sort of the old respectability politics of it. But it is a sort of indictment on saying things are not fair. They never going to be fair. So you got to accept the terms as they are and figure out the best you can do with it. I think after two, three generations of living under that and sort of there you are, right? There you are in the same place that your grandparents were. I think it Mm -hmm. winds on... um, it can affect our sense of hope in the possibilities of transformation. Mm. And I think that has real ramifications on, on political power, right? It is the question about folks turning out to vote. It is the question about folks believing that, um, you know, that regular folks can do that job and succeed in it. Because again, it gets framed as like, that's the, you know, we have the frame of like, that's, you know, the game and you got to play the game and everybody's trying to do this. And so there's like a lack of hope of like, you can be, um, you know, a working class elected leader that's going up and fighting on behalf of the community in a real um, and integrity laden way, right? Like that's always going to come with suspicion. Um, you know, I would imagine for families of, um, immigrants, especially in doc, undocumented immigrants, that there's some similar cycle after a while. Like if you're coming and like watching your parents work themselves to the bone for you to advance and then, you know, there's only so far and the door slams again, it's sort of generationally up to a point. Like there's a sort of like the system, you know, the recognition the system's broke. And I think, mm-hmm. I guess that's where all of us come in you know, the organizer types (laughs) on what is supposed to be our role in an inspiring hope and trying to transform that picture. Yeah. And these things get built into systems. I want to dig it because like, 
if you're an immigrant, your your status to stay in the country is tied to your work. If you're receiving public benefits, yeah. your your ability to get those benefits is tied to some work that you're doing, often awful, terrible, humiliating work sometimes. And then also, and but this history goes way back that like, you know, there isn't a huge um, gulf between chattel slavery and compulsory work requirements for for public benefits so like how do we break through these systems that have just for hundreds of years ingrained in the just have have reinforced the idea through not narrative or not like imagine things like real policy that says you must work to have a roof over your head, to die, you, you, or you die, like you work or you die. Mm-hmm. Like that, I just, mm-hmm. how do we get past that? Yeah, I mean, it's the, it is the question of the day. Um, you know, this is one area that I, um, I do think that um, sort of the left and its relationship to left, faith leaders, it becomes important. Um, not so mm-hmm. much from the sort of, mm-hmm. you know, a, a, a monotheistic way of looking at things, but I think from the lens of speaking to values and speaking mm-hmm. to something that is about um, sort of, you know, that's a little bit more um, heart-based because I think to get to that place of like, folks don't have to work in order to be worthy of being cared for. Yeah. That's a real values question. You can't mm. get there through a logical thing on like, you know, well, the economy works this way because it is so ingrained and it's ingrained across. I mean, I was going to say this is, you know, for poor white folks, this is ingrained and, in, you know, mm-hmm. this is ingrained in folks. It's the way in which, you know, going back to work when I was organizing with unions, it was, you would see people under horrible conditions and there's still a sense of like, well, you know, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go in here and kill myself to get this done. Or even the, some of the things that I saw at times of watching workers as revenge saying, you're going to abuse me. I'm going to do it 10 times better. So that was a whole head trip, uh, a whole head trip on stuff. So I do okay. think to unwind this is not necessarily like you can't logically walk somebody back through this this really speaks to something that they got to feel about the preciousness and dignity of life. But I'm like, what are the two of y'all thinking? I was like, Oh, Oh, very smart people. (laughs) (laughs) I'm really, I mean, I think that's really fascinating to think about the work of our faith leaders, right. And calling for, um, basically a a moral revolution. Right. And I, and it is a, it is a hard place to sit with the both. And I mean, I love, I love, (laughs) there are parts of Judaism, obviously that I love because it, it sits a lot in the both. And like, yes, we are working day in and day out and we shouldn't necessarily have to, like we're sitting with, yes, I take pride in my work. You know, I hear sometimes well, like people want jobs because it's what they, 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 want to feel like they're contributing and like, yes, and they shouldn't have to feel um, the economic coercion (laughs) at 
the same time, right? They should feel valued. Um, So I like this idea of who are the who are the faith leaders and are people still listening to faith leaders? I think they are. Um, <laughs> to, to like, to like walk us, walk us through, um, what we, what we deserve, um, as workers and, and not, not workers. Um, it's really, it's a fascinating thought. I don't know, Jeremy. No, and I, I think you're like about it culturally. Cause I think that these values exist somewhere. Right. They're not we're not going to like invent them. Like, you know, I think about, you know, kids and I'm going to date myself here, Lawrence. So don't you're, you're not on a on a limb by yourself. So come like, on, you know, when, when, I, when I was, you know, when I was young, I watched it on Nick at night. I'm not that old. But like, I remember leaving to Beaver and you'd watch the Cleavers and like the mom would like have these little quick like little shots of dad to let him know, like, hey, I'm working here. Right. Yeah. And there was this like recognition that that was work and there was this recognition that she Mm -hmm. was she was a contributor and it was and it was celebrated um in a way and then the other show i watched was the the huxtables and the cosby (laughs) show and mom was working and i think back like any black show even if it was a black black middle class the mother is working like working for the man in some kind of way and the idea of a black person not an employment of of the of the system just is out of touch with so so for me it's like how do we culturally get to a place where we can understand the lives of that black people are living in the same way that we can understand and accept the way that 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 white folks are living their lives because the idea of being a stay-at-home mom is something that like you you hear white families aspire to have all the time, but like black folks, we can't do that. Like like you have to you have to be employed by by the man, and that's there's there's a place in culture. So that's why I say I think that those values exist is just apply, allowing all of us to to kind of embrace and, and embody those same same set of values. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think you can even look at the. Um, you know, sort of one expression of feminism, sort of what's typically called like, you know, second wave, right? So the, you know, sort of the embrace of like feminist mystique and being liberated from the home and from domestic work. Well, mm-hmm. that's made possible by the labor of, right. you know, overwhelmingly black women as domestic yeah. help, right? So mm-hmm. at that period in time. So Yes, all those things. I mean, Solana said something about like work having meaning. So I want to actually lift up and say, I do think, um, you know, if we could take this all apart and reconstruct it in a different way of the society, I do think people want to work. And I mean that in a different way. I don't think it's work on for somebody else's wealth and benefit or to poison the environment and the rivers and the seas, right? Or to harm others. I think it's that sense of I'm contributing something. And I think this mm-hmm. also does, when you start to peel this back, you also start to trouble, again, going back to, you know, I talked about all these, the side jobs, but then there's the other things that we just, because we don't value them as a society as well, we don't name work. So folks that go out and coach like little leagues or bas- yeah. little basketball leagues, right? Like we don't name that work, but I was like, it it is work. Those folks are thinking up like 
you know, what are we going to do? What are the drills we're going to do? How am I going to manage that these two kids are like having beef with each other? <laughs> you ain't got to tell me. You speak in my like, language. I, yeah. I coach I coach youth football on the side. And yes, yeah. it is work. Like, I can tell you. It is work. How do I not have them all cry every week? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Amen, sister. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I, I think there's all those. And if we think about it, I bet actually people just spend their day going around and thinking about the ways in which people unpaid are contributing to the sense of community and the betterment of like either neighborhoods or the city or their town mm. um, in these ways. And then thought about what's compensated and not un uncompensated i mean Mm -hmm. we would have a list and i think that might be the way to think about well what would work look like if you were able to give over to those types of activities versus um sending deaf buzzes to space (laughs) i i I love that because it's 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 coming from a different slice it's saying we're going to assume that everybody's working in some way towards the betterment and advancement of society so then the question becomes, how do we recognize and compensate that work is something that is a part of making our, our whole society better. I love, I love, I love that way. That's a just completely different way of thinking it than like our, you know, capitalist, our racially capital, capitalist eco- economic society tells us to think. I love that. Um, I'm curious, Lauren, I'm going to shift gears just a little bit about like, are you seeing glimmers of hope of this myth around work as work sort of crumbling people starting to I mean maybe it's part of the great resignation right wave that we're <laughs> that we're like hey we don't have to put up with this um where else are you seeing sort of the <laughs> the curtain being pulled back and the the whiz is <laughs> I mean, I think it's certainly in the grave resignation, like every sign that's on a Wendy's or what have you, like this place is shut down because, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Because this, you know, your little $12 an hour ain't worth it. Um, Mm -hmm. So is, is this, I think actually the, you know, strike Tober, strikes giving, Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. strike winter, whatever. Then <laughs> um, is another expression. I mean, it's you know, I there's little clips from the Kellogg's strike from the John Deere where people are saying like they keep taking our stuff. I mean, that, I mean, there was this one woman in the John Deere's like they keep taking our stuff. And I was like, that is it. That is the recognition yes. of like these tractors, this business. That's us. Mm-hmm. You don't have anything to sell if it's not for us. And so you were taking mm-hmm. something from us versus please give. And I, so I do think that we're in a moment. And the challenge, I think, to all of us that want um, a different world is perhaps like, how are we sort of making haste while the sun's still shining? Now that's pulling out an old phrase. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's like my grandmama's, but it is, it's sort of like, we're in a moment of a surge. And so what are we doing during the surge? I hate to be pessimistic and say, but there will be a fallow time again. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's a question about how much do you advance? How much do you build organization and structure now that can tackle on these issues? 
right in the yeah. long term. So. Well, Lauren, we want to give you a chance before you go, like, tell us about the thing that you all are working on at Power Switch that is, you know, really giving you energy right now. We'd just love to for you to just share that uh, with, with our listeners. Just like, what is it that you're working on Power Switch that's really giving you some, some energy today? Yeah, um, there's a lot going on at Power Switch. And, um, you know, and I say this humbly because we, you know, one of the things that's great about our network is it's, um, local coalition. So when we talk about things we're excited about, talking about things that we're working on with other folks, including y'all, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. the work in Athena is, you know, we are excited about, proud about, proud about a moment where we're actually tying racial justice to anti-monopoly to a pro-worker agenda and really sort of threading this in a very different way than I think um, the movement's previously done and, you know, in the past. I think um, as well, um, a lot of great work that folks are doing around housing and both keeping people in their homes and starting to think a bit about how do we both have a conversation about decolonizing and land back, community mm -hmm. control of land in places, mm -hmm. and then and tying that to the questions around people's right to be housed and remain in their homes. Um, so That's all dope. Yeah. Thanks for that. Yeah, and and if people want to want to learn about that, where where do they go? For now, our we were formally called the Partnership for Working Families. Power Switch Actions our new our new name. Um, and you can still find us at forworkingfamilies.org. Uh, but stay tuned because we'll have a new website up fairly soon. Fantastic! I'm actually gonna pull Kendra in just to see. Do we do all the things that you had imagined we would do, Kendra? <laughs> You did all the things. That was great. Yay. Awesome. Thanks, y'all, for inviting Thank you. me on. This is exciting. That was amazing, as usual, mm. with Lauren Jacobs. Mm. Love her. Uh, just Truth just teller. All the time, all the time. Uh, we've got to do that again. I What I really appreciated about one of the things that she said, and you lifted up, was this idea of like, what if we reverse engineered this economy? What if we just said like, mm -hmm. everybody's doing work, let's actually base our economic projections and all these things around how much is this going to cost? How much is that going to cost? Based on like, what people are actually contributing to the economy. And what if we just said like, everybody's contributing something, let's figure out how to value it. Like, I just thought that was a really... I don't know, kind of revolutionary way to think about our our oh yeah totally. our economy. Yeah, totally revolutionary. You know what I kept thinking about as we were talking was, you know, Joe Biden always tells this like folksy story about his dad, and he was like, you know, Joe, the a job's not about the money; it's about dignity and respect, and that. And I just remember hearing Joe say that and feeling like, man, if that ain't some white people <laughs> bullshit, like I ain't like. Because that's not how my dad explained work to me. He was like, you got to work because you got to survive. If you don't work, you're going to be on the street. You're going to be poor. You're going to be this and that. But what if it wasn't like that? What if like you hear that and they're like, yeah, that's what work's about. And that is what we want um, work. And that's something that like black folks, people of color can aspire, aspire to have. Like the, a job that brings that kind of dignity and like I'm contributing to 
life and society in a way that I feel that's right. I think I think yes and like imagine if we didn't have to only find dignity in our work. Like what if we could find dignity outside of work and we also appreciate it and and you know everybody's not gonna love their their job necessarily, but everybody should be feeling like they belong and have a place and are contributing every day, right? Like that's that's the dual. I really appreciated Lauren like sitting with both the both and like working in the structures and knowing that it could be so much better and more. And what that means, which we didn't talk about is we got to get rid of these politicians that are reinforcing this stuff, yeah. right? Whether In both parties, right? You have Republicans, you know, Newt Gingrich and his crowd bringing in work requirements into um, public uh, services and, and public benefits. You got people like Joe Manchin trying to tie that to benefits that currently do not require those type of work requirements, like the child tax credit or, or, or other things. And it, it, we need to get these people out of the way because that is really they're the ones that are holding us back and again it's not just the republicans like you know tom cotton and you know um you know uh mike mccarthy all the like kind of like kevin mccarthy sorry i got there's too many mccarthy's <laughs> but the, all the like that would understand away and there's the joe mansions and the folks on the democratic side and what we need to do is like get these folks out of the way because in order to get to that vision that that Lauren was talking about, it's a political fight. Like, yes, it's a cultural fight. It's it's all that, but it's also a political fight. So that our members of Congress are not reinforcing these things. And it's a it's also a conversation within our own communities about mm-hmm. uh, what we're holding these folks accountable towards, but what we are also holding ourselves accountable for. I've been in many a conversation with other black people about like, well, you know, those people over there, they don't, you know, they not working. They not, they not putting in. Uh, And that may be true. And we still should not be making these work requirements a way of the law. Like that's just, it's not Mm -hmm. necessary um, at all. Yeah. Yeah, when you look at the experience of of uh, one of our good friends who we hope to have on the podcast down the road, um, Michael Tubbs, and his experience doing universal basic income in Stockton, a lot of the critique mm-hmm. around giving people cash directly for nothing at all, you know, no work. Mm-hmm. You, you're getting cash because we know you're struggling and we know that that the government can support you. A lot of the critique was coming from folks in the black community. And and it was a lot of that, like, you know, uplift suasion <laughs> that, um, you know, re, that uh, Professor Kendi talks about around like black folks looking down on other black folks and saying like, well, those people shouldn't get that support. And really all that we're doing is, as he talks about what we're doing, that is uplifting and reinforcing white supremacy. And the people that are benefiting from that white supremacy are the wealthy individuals and the people that are driving things in our economy. And it's what's holding us back from moving towards that liberation economy that we talk about at, um, at LibGen, where we're building an economy where 
people are guaranteed to a set of economic rights and things like having an income, having a job, having health care, having housing, and that that is something that the government must provide and yeah. support. And really, we're talking about our collective wealth. When we say government, you know, some people are like, I don't want to be dependent on the government. I don't want to be dependent on the state. But it is the way it hasn't been necessarily, but it is the way we take care of one another collectively as a nation. Uh, and it is it isn't the democracy that we're aiming for right now. Right. But it could be. Right. right. And I think I think one of the things that I'm asking myself and I hope I think listeners, whether we're activists, whether we're community members, whether we're policymakers, I think we have to really ask ourselves, are we more than our paid work? Like day in and day out, like where do we find uh, our self-worth outside of work? And really, what is my expectation from my paid work? You know, Lauren works with folks that are unionizing all the time. Uh, How can we ask for more and demand more as producers, but as more than just producers, right? Um, And I also think we must ask one another and those that are in power, how are we supporting and acknowledging each other's many contributions to our collective well-being, that notion that everybody is contributing to our collective well-being. Let's figure out how to compensate and and value that. Um, and I think that's every everything from like when we go to the restaurant and we're like interacting mm-hmm. with the folks at McDonald's or <laughs> whether we're, you know, in a hotel room and the hotel service folks are are coming through, like whatever it is that we're asking these questions of like, how do we see each other's work um, and our volunteer work and our care work, all the work, all the um, ways that we contribute um, and how do we, how are we acknowledging that and valuing it in an everyday way? Well, I think that's a great way to leave everybody. So um, thanks for listening to this podcast, Racism is Profitable. Uh, We look forward to hearing you next time. Peace out. Thanks for listening. For more information, check out our list of episode resources and visit us at liberationandagenerationaction.org. Shout out to our producer, Jacob Bronstein, audio editor, Nino Fernandez, communications director, me, Kendra Bozar, the design team at TrimTab, and the whole squad at LibGen Action. Like what you heard? Help us make some noise by telling two friends about the Racism is Profitable podcast. Until next time, y'all, peace. <laughs>